Who do you want to be as a leader? What are the blind spots you're missing? If you had a magic wand and you could change anything about your workplace, what would you do with it? These are the kinds of questions we explore on Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt. I'm a keynote speaker, emotional intelligence coach, and leadership trainer who partners with executives and emerging leaders who want to achieve extraordinary results for themselves and their organizations. You're in the right place if you're ready to cultivate the self-awareness to be the leader you were born to be. Let's go on this journey together. Welcome to Inspirational Leadership. I'm your host, Kristen Harcourt, and I'm excited for today because we are going to have two guests. And I'm excited, excited, excited to introduce you to Dr. Andrea and Jonathan Taylor Cummings, who are the founders of Four Habits Consulting and Soulmates Academy Foundation, through which they equip people to build healthy relationships at work and home so they can be more resilient, more connected, and more productive. And Andrea and Jonathan have been married for 27 years with two adult teen, two teenage children. And it's interesting, the story of how we came together. So I saw their TED talk, which has had 1.9 million views. And as soon as I heard this talk, I said, I need to have both of them on the show. And this is actually my first time having two guests together. And as soon as I reached out to both Andrea and Jonathan, I said, I need to have both of you for this conversation because <laughs> I love the, the, love the dynamic. And also another really cool thing is they just released their book this month. Um, same, same name as their Ted talk, the four habits of all successful relationships. Welcome to the show, Andrea and John. Oh, we're delighted to be here. Thanks, Kristen. And thanks for such an amazing introduction. Exactly. Thank you so much for having us. It's great to be here. There's one correction I need to put in there, though. It's 28 years we've been married. Yeah, we, we, just, we, we just had our anniversary we recently. It's so. been years since we last spoke. No, never mind. <laughs> nice, nice. And, and actually, I think that's where I like to start because I think it's interesting the two of you doing your work together because at some point you would have been on different places on your career journey and came together. So yeah. would love to hear the story of how did you get into this work? Work. Now there's a story, <laughs> but there's a favorite line that John likes to give, so he'll get All to right. do that well, one. The very, very, very beginning of it is um, before we even met. So Andrew came to the UK where we, where, we, where we live and work, and she came on a scholarship. She came to get her master's, and she ended up getting her mister as well. And that's, that's the line. <laughs> now you know why he gets to say that line. And we're chuffed that we're the first duo that you're doing yeah. on, on your podcast. Yeah. Um, so I came to study, we both, we met at university, uh, we were both studying a master's in management studies back then, John was a year ahead of me. Um, he went into banking, I stayed on, did the doctorate, and then I went into management consulting. And then we had an amazing year, so we got married, we had the, the friendship that developed on campus. Uh, then we had this wonderful year of living and studying in Japan away from family, from friends, from all kinds of influence, something that, you know, if you can orchestrate it as a young couple, we definitely highly recommend, highly recommend it for anybody. Just get away from those influences of family and so on. It allows you to make decisions on your own as a unit yeah, rather than keep running to mom or dad or siblings or whoever it was, wherever you used to get your, your, you know, a guidance from before. Yeah. And now you make those decisions as a couple. So really, really good. We were there for a year and after that wonderful experience of living and working abroad and establishing our unit, we thought we have management degrees, we have professional experience, we love each other dearly, the relationship's wonderful. We always had this dream of starting a business. Let's start a business together. How hard can it be? And, and therein <laughs> hangs the tale because it took all of three months to just discover how hard it could be living and working together, discovering differences in our work styles that we didn't know existed because we never had to work together, the frustrations of having all our eggs in one basket financially. So from a situation where it was, you know, double income, no kids to no income in a business to make run, but having this tension in the office that followed us home. That and was and the, the challenge. Main, the main source of the problem really was in the, in the work. Andrea didn't turn out to be the mini me that I was hoping for. 
<laughs> I had very clear ideas on how things were going to run. This is how things should be done. And she, she just didn't do things that way. I'm like, what are you doing? You're doing it wrong. <laughs> You're doing it wrong. Yeah, but I mean, no, seriously, it was until I recognized that I had strengths and I could always see my own strengths. My weakness was I couldn't see my weaknesses. And it wasn't really until I could see strengths in Andrew. She started, she could do things that I couldn't do. But, hmm, okay, there is there is something in this. Let, let me check this out. And, and she also had this, this natural gift for connecting with people and bringing people along. And I had come from an investment banking environment where it's all about the results. Show me the numbers or get out of my face was kind of the approach. That was the industry that I came from. And I thought that was the way to do things. But of course, I, I was oblivious to the fact that you had high turnover in those environments and so on. I could see people coming and going, but I figured that was just the way it was. And that that approach didn't work with a wife as your colleague yeah. either. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, it, it didn't work for the business that we were trying to set up, but it certainly didn't work on the home front. And the other thing is, you know, I, one of the things we talk about a lot and we'll get onto the four habits is that we don't re- recognize our own superpowers. The things that we're really, really good at, we assume everybody's good at it and that if they don't do it that way, they're intentionally trying to irritate or frustrate us. So, <laughs> so John's really very good at attention to detail in a way with things that I don't even see. So you can just imagine the, the conversations we used to have, the frictions that would develop where he would be expecting something, you know, fully structured and thoroughly thought through because that's his superpower, but it just wasn't mine. And oh, the, the misunderstandings that we had yeah. back then was so was so that's real. that's what got us into this and we we realized that there was some, plenty of stuff that we could learn ourselves to improve the quality of our relationship and in our excitement we started sharing that with friends and family around us and we we realized everybody had an appetite to hear what we were talking about nobody was saying they were having challenges but they were oh tell me tell me more that sounds good tell me more and you know in time clearly people opened up and we recognized that actually everybody around us was going through very similar challenges I mean, we're not talking about, you know, hugely dysfunctional relationships. We're talking about run-of-the-mill, everyday challenges. When you come up against differences, you come up against unmet expectations, tempers start to fray, you know, over time, things just aren't as rosy as they were in the, in the early days. And so we started sharing this stuff, for, you know, on any platform we could get, you know, evenings, weekends. We kind of did it around the day job. And we became voracious as well yeah. in our own reading because we figured if, if just understanding fundamental differences between us created such a light bulb moment and really changed how we, how we faced off with each other and the quality of the relationship and interaction, then that will probably help other people. But what else is out there? So we looked back at the management theory that we'd studied and understanding team dynamics. We looked at relationship uh, kind of therapy, counseling information. We looked at everything that was out there in terms of best practice and started sharing that in different forums, in uh, one-on-one with uh, individuals, professional colleagues, with couples, with families that we, you know, were around us, Anybody then out into, really. yeah, out <laughs> into the community. So for for 20 odd years, we were doing it evenings and weekends around the day job, just sharing the, the principles that we realized shifted, changed behaviors. That's what we were after. It changed behaviors in how we showed up to relationships, how having better conversations and achieving better outcomes, whether it was at home, at work, in the community, we we just focused on the things that shifted behaviors so that relationships were improved. And then five years ago, probably it was turning 50, a combination of things happening in our careers and so on. We both independently got to this point of saying, you were age 50 and all of a sudden there was a bit of a, a moment where you paused and let's continue right there. Okay, so so the, this moment of turning 50 probably provoked the thinking, why am I here? What is it that I'm here to do? What do I need to do before I go? And we independently found ourselves thinking that. And that's when we realized the passion that we had for relationship education, for helping everybody to have better conversations and achieve better outcomes. And another thing that happened around about the same time is Mm. that we had this group of about these friends who moved together in a, a group of about eight couples who tend to hang out together. And the sixth couple of the eight announced that they were separating and going for a divorce. And we said, that's it. If all we have to offer 
as the skills that we've mm. developed and seen working, then we will bring this. So five years ago, we decided to set up the business, the Four Habits Consulting and the charity, which uh, officially uh, got founded last year, but that we've kind of been doing that over the 20 odd yeah, years. Yeah. And then two years ago, do you want to talk about the TEDx talk and how that helped? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's all part of the journey of how we got to where we where, where we are today. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had the awesome opportunity of doing a TEDx talk. And we realized that the theme for the um, that event was thriving or surviving. We thought, yeah, absolutely, this is absolutely in our sweet spot. So, okay, TEDx talk, let's do it. How, what are we going to talk about? And then we realized, ah, now we're going to have to summarize 25 to at the point, at that point, about 25 years of work into 15 minutes. How do you do that? <laughs> and it was that that really forced us to, to distill. I mean, we thought about all the work we'd done and we, we recognized that there really were four habits that all, all the successful relationships we'd ever seen, they exhibited these habits and all the challenged or uh, strained or broken relationships we'd seen were missing one or more of these habits. And we said, you know what? That's it. The four habits of all successful relationships. And when we did the talk, we were talking with a good friend of ours and he was saying, you know what, guys, these TEDx talks, they tend to be on average. There are two types of TEDx talks, he said. They're those that go three, five thousand views on average. And then they're those that go to the moon. Let's let's, you know, all, the best you can hope for is three to five thousand views. As long as you can do that, you, you, you know, that, that was the boy. You don't want to be under that. And so today when we look at it and, you know, well, well, today when we look at it now, it's you know fast approaching two million views. I think it's sort of a few thousand, but it's still growing by between two and four thousand every, every day. day. Yeah. And we just think, where did that come from? And really, our conclusion is there is an appetite out there, especially the, now. Well, especially now, doubly yeah. so now. Although the 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 um uh, what's the word? The viral, I guess, bit of, of the talk happened before COVID, but even so. In the current environment, there's an appetite for people to, nobody wants to be at um, the mercy of their relationship. If there's something they can do to be proactive, okay, what is it? Tell me, what do I need to do? I mean, so many people come to us or we talk to and they say, you know, the relationship isn't, isn't so great. It has been better, but I don't know what to do. I've been doing the same thing. I, th I think I've done all the things I know to do, but it's, it's not working. I don't know what to do. How can I do get better at this? We say, actually, there, there are habits that you can be developing that will improve the quality of your relationship. The things that you're doing that aren't working, you need to recognize what those are and stop doing those or minimize those as best as possible. But there are equally things that you're not doing that you need to learn what those are, things that will land really powerfully and start doing those things. The combination of those two together brings you back into positive territory. We have some language we use around that, but... Uh, and, and, that's, and that's exactly the point because we realize that nowhere are we really taught specifically how to do relationships well and yet especially in the last year relationships at work at home in life have just been really tested to the core how do we become intentional about investing in those relationships uh, turning up well and and doing the things that strengthen rather than damage relationships and, and that's why that's why we've called them habits, because it's not just about getting head knowledge and information. It's about learning the principles and, and the skills so that you can genuinely change behaviors from habits that damage relationships to habits that strengthen them and be on purpose about it. Because all relationships will cha face challenges that once you have two people who are living, breathing, <laughs> opinionated, thinking, there will always be a time where you just don't see things the same way, you do things differently, you respond differently. None of us is that great handling conflict without knowing how to do it, you know, with specific skills that we've, we've invested in developing. And all that can challenge relationships in different ways but the four habits help developing the four habits yeah. on purpose, help us to do the things that build relationships rather than the things that damage relationships and make that our natural response. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, there's so much I want to say with what you just said there, but <laughs> a couple of things I want to highlight is, um, first of all, I love what you're saying about also recognizing that we all have our zone of genius and what does it look like to play more there, but then recognize then we have the different operating systems. So we might not see things from the different perspectives and, and see that in others. 
Um, but I also, first of all, I love your passion about this. It's so um, palpable, right? I can tell how much you really care <laughs> about that and we can feel that energy. But then also as you started to share this with others, I think the other thing that's, that's striking me as you're talking about this is that people can kind of feel a little bit alone. Like it was just me that's doing this. I'm the only one that has a struggle. Everyone else in their houses, because we do have this highlight reel with social media. And I always say like, when I'm having a fight, I'm not gonna take a picture of myself or my husband having <laughs> and say, we're currently in a fight. That's our status right yeah, now. Exactly. That's not going to be the time that we're communicating that. So I think with you talking about this more and um, first of all, recognizing, you know, there are some specific strategies you can embrace and let's not overcomplicate it. Um, but it reminds me of it's it's like you think about getting a driver's license and you have to work so hard to do it. Yet you you get married or you have children and all these things. I'm like, where's the where's the, the, the official things that we have to do to prepare ourselves for that or even in school? Um, not really preparing us for this. So I'm it's so important. And, I, and you know, everybody li listening today, I hope that you recognize that everybody you know is having some sort of struggle on some days, even if it feels like they're their, their soulmate and it seems like they're always happy. I guarantee you behind closed doors, there are arguments and there are tough days. And That's I just want 100 percent right? And, feel and, seen. I want everyone to feel seen and heard and, and recognize that. Yeah, 100%. I would say even going beyond that, even in the workplace, we go into the into into organizations, we work in teams, we have people reporting to us or we're reporting to somebody else. Who prepared us for that? <laughs> a workplace conflict is a big old thing out there. It, I mean, when we looked at the numbers uh, not so long ago, it's something like 5%, I think, of, of, of our time is spent in conflict in the workplace. That's a day a month that we all, we're all spending in conflict. But when you look at management time, because the managers now have to deal with their own conflict situations and they've got to try and support their teams and so on, it's 20% of management time is spent in, in workplace conflict. That's a day a week just spent in dealing with, and usually it's kind of, it's around broken relationships. Who was it? One of the surveys um, said that a lot of the workplace conflict came, it was 50% of it. 50% was personality styles and warring egos. 30-something yep. percent was because of stress and 20-something percent was because of heavy workload. Yeah. Look at the COVID environment we're in. Yeah. All, <laughs> of got all of those <laughs> are, are now, that, that's the pressure that yeah. we're under now. So yeah. those statistics about workplace conflict was before this remote hybrid working environment. And now we have to be, connecting and trying to do relationships well over the distortion of technology with distance and time creating a, a, another sense of mistrust or suspicion and you know challenging relationships not because anything was necessarily done wrong or done differently but just distance and time which is you know a very different experience from being up close and personal in the office all of that is challenging relationships and creating misunderstandings. So if ever there was a time to be more intentional about how we do relationships and doing it well and becoming more inclusive, making sure everybody gets seen and heard in this remote hybrid environment, now's the time to be intentional and to get better at it. And I'll just add to that, everybody has had challenges and relationships in, in life under lockdown as we've all come to know over the last year and a half work relationships, home relationships, whether it's relationships with children, whether you have children or not, whether you live alone singly, everybody has had some kind of relational challenge. Remote, now, now um, remote uh, relationships with colleagues, everybody has had some sort of challenges. So where, where do we all get prepared for this stuff? Yeah, or learn to do it really well. Yeah. So I think this is a great place to let's dig into this a little bit. So let's talk high level around these four habits. And, and I love that, um, as you've, you've beautifully said, um, Jonathan, that this is not just, you know, this that happens outside of work, this happens in all relationships. So these yeah. are around workplaces, this is around significant others family members, because that one's always a bit contentious yeah. <laughs> uh, that we're not necessarily married to, but moms and dads and, and mother-in-laws and father-in-laws. And so let's talk a little bit around these four habits. Yeah. So habit number one. Well, but... even, even before you jump into the habits, just very quickly, there's a concept which I alluded to earlier, which oh. we call the emotional bank account. Yes. And it, it, it's a really powerful one because it brings out why the habits are so important. Yeah. <clears throat> And just very quickly, uh, the emotional bank account is just something that we all have and we all set up the moment we meet somebody for the first time. Um, and and that, that emotional bank account stays in place for as long as you have a relationship with that person. 
and every interaction you have, it's, it's just a mental record that we keep of every interaction we have with the people around us. There's nothing written down. It's all yeah. subconscious. But every interaction we have either either registers or scores as a deposit if it's a positive interaction or it's a withdrawal if it's, if it's a negative interaction. The beauty of it, though, is at any one point in time, the balance in the account is a reflection of the feeling or the quality of the relationship. So if the, if the relationship feels good, guess what? You've got a positive balance. You're in positive territory. If it feels scratchy or yeah, things are not working so well, the balance in the account is probably zero or drained you know, into overdraft. It's like your financial bank account. When that goes into negative territory, <laughs> everything is a problem. Everything can be a problem. Nothing You get away with nothing. Everything is, is scratchy is probably the best way to describe it. What we say is relationships that are in negative territory are just unpleasant relationships. Nobody wants to stick around there. You want to get that relationship back into positive territory as quickly as possible uh, to have your best chance of enjoying relationship. When you first, if you think of romantic relationships, when you first, when you were dating and so on, that relationship generally was in way up in positive territory, more by by luck than by by choice, by chance than than choice. Um, but you enjoyed it. You then, over time, drain that relationship into into overdraft territory. As you bump up against you bump each, up other's against each other, your unmet start. expectations, etc. Yeah. So now, what you need to do is get it back up there. So the two things that you need to do: one is recognize the things you're doing that are draining that account, or you have done that have drained the account and stop doing those or minimize doing those. And then equally load it up and put deposits in there. And the four habits that we share, habits one and two help you minimize the things that you're doing unintentionally. I don't think they're very, I've never met a person yet who went into a relationship looking to damage it or to wreck it. So you want to find, find out what you're doing unintentionally that's landing badly and stop it. And then at the same time, find out what you can be doing that will really land there was somebody we did a we did a workshop just uh, last week, and he was saying, "Is it the case that all the every time I'd make a, a withdrawal, it's like he was he was talking English currency? We're in the UK. You're saying, you know, that's like a pound withdrawal, but every time I make a deposit, it's only ten p or ten pence going in." I said, "No, no, no. If you find the right deposit, that can be a five pound note or a ten pound note. It really just loads it, but it's got to be the right deposit for that person. For, for that person, yeah. it, it, there is no um, one size fits all here. It's about the individuals." So that's that's yeah. the sort of lead into the habits, won't you? Yeah. yeah. So so that's a great context to set to say it's about becoming more aware of how our behavior, because of the way we're wired and our tendencies, how our behavior lands with other people, and doing the things on purpose that land well, and minimizing the things that land badly. So habit number one, be curious, not critical, is all about understanding fundamental differences, you know, learning to respect the fact that we're wired differently, we have different superpowers, but that means we also have blind spots. So how can we become more aware of our differences so that we don't miss and dismiss people unintentionally simply because the way they do things is so far uh, different from the way we would do things or the way we would think that we don't even see and hear them. So it's about understanding differences to overcome the misunderstandings and the frustrations that come from unmet expectations by expecting people to be minimis, <laughs> for example. And, uh, <laughs> and we go through in the book and when we do the workshops, we talk about the principles that underpin each habit and the skills and techniques to help you change behaviors and make those habits become your, your default where you're more curious than critical because our, our, our natural default without uh, any further self-awareness is to judge and criticize and shut people down when they don't do things the way we expect them to. And I was going to say, incidentally, those superpowers that we have are actually usually the cause of the problem. Yeah. It's, right. it's too much superpower is what really irritates the other person because yeah. you're so good at something that you end up just doing it and you do it to the, to the extreme and if the other person is different, that's really where the problems can come in. Yeah. So it's about recognizing, yeah, it's a superpower in the right context, in used in the right measure, the right amount. But sometimes I need to tone that down a little bit. And there are other other super. I, I need to let other people play to their strengths as well. Yeah. And there may be other times when there are things that aren't particular strengths of mine, but actually, you know what? I need to step up my game in that area or, or yeah. what have you. So. so it's to be able to mutually adjust. And we, we like to talk about creating space and grace for people to show up in their strengths. Mm. And together we cover each other's blind spots. How do we make sure we're not missing or dismissing people because we're so tunnel vision with our way of seeing the world? Yeah. 
And if we if we don't, and we don't uh, learn how to manage our expectations and and manage our behavior, I guess in that in that regard, yeah. we end up in conflict situations. And that's really where habit two kicks in. Habit two, we say, is be careful not crushing, especially in conflict situations. Because um, in, in a conflict situation, what generally happens is at our core, there's something about, there's a self-preservation mechanism in all of us that kind of kicks in. And in a conflict situation, it can kind of overrule us. Yes. And that's the, that's the bit that we really need to bring under control. And that's, a bit, and that, that's what will allow us to take um, care in, in, a, in a conflict situation and treat the other person with, person with respect. Otherwise we end up um, going into conflict and um, just doing what comes naturally to us. Um, it, it may be shouting, it may be leaving the room, you know, it's just things that are not helpful for that. It may be just trying to win the argument every time. Behavior like that um, might make you feel personally like, yeah, I've got some, I've, you know, I've won this one or I've, you know, some sort of little personal triumph for you. But for the relationship, how does that leave the other person feeling? All you've done is you've taken yet another chunk out of the relationship, yet another chunk, you've drained that emotional bank account. So it really is about understanding how you naturally turn up in a conflict situation and managing that better. So that when you actually come out of this conflict situation, you leave the relationship feeling and you can actually strengthen, a lot of people don't realize this, you can strengthen relationships through conflict Conflict is not bad. Conflict is inevitable. It is going to happen 100% to different degrees, but conflict is going to happen. It's just how you turn up in that conflict and manage yourself that makes all the difference. Yeah, so it's about, as we learn to treat each other well, even through conflict, we create that psychological safety that allows people to be able to speak up and address conflict better, to even mention that there is an issue because quite often the, the, we, we tend to sweep things under the carpet and that just creates distance in the relationship. So learning the habits and, and the skills around being careful, not crushing mm. is what habit number two is about. Yeah. And then there's, I was just going to say, so something that's showing up for me, I'm curious around this one, when we're talking about being careful, not crushing, what's showing up for me is a lot of times it's taking a step back and responding instead of reacting and being aware what tends to happen is when it's conflict, right? We get triggered. So the amygdala yep. brain comes up and then it's fight, flight, or freeze, right? And so it's being aware that that's by nature, it's going to show up, right? Because we've been by it's biological, but we mm -hmm. want to be very conscious when that's showing up and having that pause in between so that we can be more conscious of, of being careful how we're communicating and showing up with that human in front of us. 100%. Absolutely. And the, and the, the trick to doing that is, is really pre-programming the brain so that when you do meet a conflict situation, there are instructions in, in here, in this little yeah. wonderful thing that we have, there are instructions that tell us, in this situation, this is how you want to behave. If you haven't pre-programmed your brain with those instructions, you will just do what comes naturally to you, which is you say you get triggered, you see red, call it what you will, and you end up doing things that end up damaging the relationship. Yeah. And so we talk about a number of things, including, you know, how do you set ground rules for yourself? Because when you have the ground rules, that allows you, those are boundaries that you you can cross, or you, or, you, or, or sorry, boundaries that you choose not to cross. You decided, you I'm not going to cross these, these boundaries. I'm not going to do this sort of thing. For some people, it might be, I don't know, counting to 10 or you know, deep breaths. So there, there are a number of things that you can do. Or you, if, it, if it's a relationship where you have the opportunity to have a conversation about it, you can actually set ground rules in that relationship. Like we did in our, our um, marriage early, early, in the early marriage. years. Yeah. We just had three rules, which was one, we would never hit each other. Uh, two, we would never storm out of the house and slam the door in, in anger. Because that, that would communicate all kinds of unintended messages of abandonment or anything so maybe go to the next room but going out the door of the house and slamming the door was no that was a no-no off the table for us it may, may not impact other people to the same degree but for us it was a no-no yeah. and the third thing is we would never use the word divorce in spite or, or as a threat you know yeah. if you do that i'm going to leave you kind of thing that was off the table for us that that's dirty playing as yeah. far as we were concerned yeah uh, so just remove that that threat um, those are ground rules that we set around our relationship and those really have served us well yeah in a couple of relationship people will need to decide for themselves what works but yeah the the, the ground rules create that safety yeah. net it creates the boundaries beyond which you've agreed you won't cross so you're not feeling threatened about where the relationship's going and you can have a more robust and healthy conversation or fight <laughs> yeah. without feeling unsafe 
Yes. And, uh, you know, it's the same. It, it works the same in the home context as well as in the work context. Um, and there's some other techniques that we yeah. talk about, like knowing how to choose your battles and being able to listen well. And just, so just on the point of fight, we say to people, it's not that we don't fight. We still fight. We've just learned how to fight better or how to fight well and how to recover faster or quicker. Yeah. Every, you're going to have these little disagreements. You're opinionated people, living, breathing. It's yeah. going to happen. Learn yeah. how to handle it properly. That's what yeah. gets you through and gets you over them. Yeah. yeah, I love the ground rules because what you're doing is you're being proactive. So when it's when you're in a state where there is a little bit more, um, the energy is a bit more neutral, you've created that. So then when the energy isn't as much neutral, it's there, it's been created. And I can see that in workplaces as well. And, and I think you had mentioned this, John, to um, circle back to this point, which is so true. And I talk about this so often when I'm coaching leaders and they agree when we actually start going back and dissecting that sometimes what ended up in the workplace being some, what at the time felt like really hard and difficult conflict ended up actually creating some really, really intimate, meaningful relationships. And they would have never gotten there if they hadn't gone through the messiness of seeing things different, being able to hear one another and shifting and and working through. It just, it can feel like I want to acknowledge everybody that's listening. Like, I want to be honest. It can feel our body. It can feel really uncomfortable when conflict is showing up, but acknowledging that it's there and what happens when you get to the other side can be actually such a beautiful gift it just brings you to as you say quickly it brings you to another level of understanding about the person and that's really what brings that increased connection yeah so it's absolutely not a bad thing we we actually go further than that and say that the genuine friendship starts at the point of conflict because up until then it's there you're just getting on easily with no challenges probably because the person is exactly like you in certain ways but at the moment of conflict that's where you get to choose whether you go deeper and strengthen the relationships and build genuine understanding and connection or if you destroy it by the way you turn up yeah yeah Yeah. great so let's hear habit three so habit three is ask don't assume and this is a really chunky habit you know because we we we, uh, talk about underlying assumptions and core values and the beliefs that we we each carry sometimes not even realizing that we're carrying them until they get crossed and we feel really disrespected. So habit three, ask, don't assume, is about being able to recognize our own assumptions, identify values that are important to us, put healthy boundaries around those values, be able to model healthy boundaries if you're a leader, and be able to have those courageous conversations where necessary to make sure or, or to help create respect mutual respect and trust in the relationship so it's developing the healthy boundaries talking about things these deep-seated issues that we tend to run away from rather than talk about but getting better at talking about the things that really matter to us so that we can build this deep uh, trust and respect and i guess using the language of the of the habit ask don't assume it's about checking in on assumptions your assumptions the assumptions of the people around you and then as we talk about in the book, it's then about then making big asks of the people around you. It could be in a work environment of your boss or your colleagues. Make that big ask uh, to help you, um, especially if work-life balance is a challenge for you. It's making those big asks that will help you redress that balance. Um, in the home environment, you need to make the big asks you need to make of your family or, or a partner or spouse, you know, people around you. That's your support network right there. <laughs> if that network isn't in place, you can't do some of the things that you're trying to do out of the out of the home environment. But it all starts actually with making some checking in on your own assumptions and making some big asks of yourself. Yeah. What's really important to you and what are the boundaries you need to set around that? As they say, you can't... Um, they, they, on, on, an air, on an aircraft, the airline industry, they always say, put your own oxygen mask on first before you're trying to help people. Yeah. So make sure that you're checking in on yourself first. And then that allows you to think, OK, what's really important in life here? Which ladder am I trying to climb? What am I, what, what am I trying to achieve here? And then make those courageous um, ask, big asks, have courageous conversations. I'm not for one minute suggesting these are easy conversations to have. These can be very emotive subjects and, and topics. But these are conversations that you need to have to really come out the other side feeling like, ah, you know what? Life is going, there's some kind of balance to my life here. And I'm not running around headless chicken, pulling my hair out all the time. 
and, and, and being driven by other people's agendas. You know, for, for all its ills, COVID has presented us with this opportunity to think more deliberately and more intentionally about a, a sustainable rhythm to work, home and life. Before COVID, we were already doing crazy, you know, a rat race 24-7 always on. But now that everything's collided under one roof, we have to become intentional about pushing back on this incessant demand on our time and our attention and energy, put those healthy boundaries in place and, and have those big asks. And we call them big asks, not because we shouldn't be asking for um, help and support in putting in place and maintaining the boundaries. But sometimes, as John said, they, they require that, that courage to bring up conversations you probably weren't having before, like the flexibility you need from your boss, like redesigning the way you do collaborative time with the team and focus time where you can work more um, flexibly from home, like roles and responsibilities in the home, like the impact that's been having on women and needing to leave the workplace because the, the, the overwhelm of this the, you know, simultaneous double shift. So there's some big conversations to be had. And that's what we talk, that's what Ask Don't Assume is all about, which is why I said it's a really chunky one. And you can see Andrew could talk about just that <laughs> habit alone for a good few hours, yeah. just on that one. <laughs> you know, and I could too, I've been, I've, you know, in terms of advocating for the leaders that I support, it's been an important one because they need to have the conversation. And it's the onus mm. isn't just on the organization because a lot of times what I notice is it's not the organization that's having that expectation they're having those expectations for themselves and I, I will say it's not realistic it's not sustainable working every night until midnight uh, because you do the kids and then work for another three or four hours working already nine hour days when you're in back-to-back -back meetings um, so on one hand, it's the individual and onus there but I'm curious because this is coming up right now in this conversation what do you think the onus is on the organization? Because John, I liked at the very beginning when you were saying that you came from an industry that was very numbers focused, business focused. And, and so I have seen some organizations during COVID who are giving lip service to, oh no, we, we care and mental health and they're educating and sharing a lot of things, but in terms of expectations and deliverables, there isn't there. It's not matching. Um, yeah, I'm curious yeah. if you have anything to um, either of you have anything to comment on there, because I know you're also doing work with not just the individuals, but with the organizations and helping them to shift. There might be a leader who right now has the opportunity to go have some difficult conversations with the CEO as a as an HR yeah. leader to say, we need to make change. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think the 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 world is now a very different place. The world that we live in now, the um, there's a there's a generational shift that has happened, and the expectations of the generations coming into the workplace now, the, the, the world that I used to work in, that they would never have survived in that kind of environment or that environment it would have just it would have imploded. The the world now is the way they live in a world where the vocabulary of the workplace has changed, or at least. It, it's changed whether people recognize that or not it's changed for success it's changed uh, to keep people around uh, people now want to feel connected to their environment they want to feel connected to, to their organization who was it the ceo of um uh at the time linkedin ceo jeff uh, weiner i think it is he um he did the survey and the, the results of that showed that you know people don't leave organizations they leave bosses so it's all about having that connection with the boss. And where does that connection come from? You've got to have these conversations around what's important to people, really. How are they feeling? Um, what kind of space are they in? If, if, it, if your conversation is just about the results, people will leave and you may get the results in the very short term, but the long-term the long -term success of businesses, you need to have that. And actually that that leads us perfectly into, into habit four, because habit but, four... But before you go into that, I just wanted to add on. on to what you were saying, the language change so that things like empathy and compassion are uh, we need oh. to be weaved through the organization. And fundamentally, leaders are the culture carriers. So regardless of what's written in policies or what's written on the wall, the leaders, the way they behave and what they're modeling will set the pace for the rest of the organization. People will believe that you really care about flexibility or that I can have uh, permission to talk about the flexibility I need if I see my leaders modeling it 
and talking about it and encouraging me to talk about it as well. Otherwise, there will always be this tension. And what we're fighting against is the, the age old assumption that there's this personal professional divide that must never be crossed. So personal conversation should never come into the organizational space, but all that uh, will either break ourselves and or break people if we don't allow those conversations to be encouraged and to be had genuinely, which might also mean looking at how you're going to reward, how you're going to evaluate performance, because it can't be just based mm. on time anymore. How are you going to support the manager who is going to be evaluated against delivering results, but needing to manage a team that needs more flexibility? It's, it's all those things and how we actually live out those policies that will convince people that you're being truthful when you talk about flexibility and work-life balance or that it's just lip service and it's not safe to even bring up that conversation as it's a career limiting move yeah the there really is a balance that needs to be struck on looking at the numbers and leading with what we call leading with heart yeah and leading with heart we talk about heart which is it's about honesty empathy authenticity respect and trust now, these are words that never used to, you know, they, 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 weren't, they weren't workplace words. You didn't, well, honesty, clearly, we've always spoken about, but there, there is a, um, some might call it softer skills. I, I'm just saying it's people skills. Well, well, if, it's, if people, most organizations will say people are our most important asset. Yes. Yeah. What, do you, well, what are you doing about that? How are you connecting with these people? Yeah. And, and again, we're coming back with habit four. Habit four is all about connect, connect before you correct. Um, most of us have this, when, when, when things aren't going our way, well, you know, we, we're going to try and correct the people around us. If you do it like this, then you're, it's kind of back to the mini-me thing to some, some degree. And if you don't have a connection with that person, you don't have permission to have that kind of conversation. If you think about uh, teenage children, or if anybody's, whether you have them for yourself or you're, you've been around teenagers, you'll know that to try and have a corrective conversation without a connection, you're wasting your time. Yeah. If, if you've got their ear, your ear with their connection, they will listen to you. Otherwise, you can forget about it. So it really is the same applies around us in anything. If you're having a performance review with somebody, if you've got a connection with them, they will hear what you have to say because they know you're saying it with a good intention. Yeah, you, you have their back you have their back on their back. Absolutely. If, without that, they'll just say, okay, I hear you. Thanks. But it, it's not a smooth conversation. You have to focus on building that, that connection. As they say... Um, there's a quote we love, which says, people go where they feel welcomed, but they stay where they feel valued. If you want people to stick around, you have to leave them feeling valued. This is in the workplace. This is in the home environment. There's something in us that needs to feel valued. Um, and if we don't get that from the person we're relating to, well, guess what? We kind of, well, so I, I'm getting some value coming from over here. Maybe I'm going to be attracted over there. It's, we don't do it intentionally, but there's this need within us to feel that appreciation and value and love in a home environment. So it's really, really important that we, we do that. We connect with people. And uh, the last thing to share, I guess, on that is, unfortunately, the assumption we make is that everybody wants to feel valued and appreciated in the way that's important to us. Yeah. And we're saying, actually, no, we all speak different languages here. You've got to understand what's really important to them. Yeah. And then learn that, and that's the language that you need to be speaking every day, all day. And yeah. that is what makes those deposits into their emotional bank account and gets you back into positive territory. Yeah. If you leave it in, if you just leave it in um, negative territory, assuming that yeah, everything it'll, it'll be all right on the night. Well, or, or, or time passing. And, yeah, it, <laughs> it won't. It's not. It's not going to fill itself. You need to actually be on purpose about filling that. And when we had this conversation uh, just recently, somebody was asking. Are we saying that, you know, all relationships can you can can restore them and bring them back? And I'm saying I'm, I wouldn't be naive enough to or bold enough to say, yeah, you can fix every relationship. There are some which are, I don't know, dysfunctional. There's, there's a real problem there. Or, or they've done so much damage yeah. that they've lost the will yeah, to, to come back. Yeah. But what I'm saying is there are many more relationships than we might imagine or people might imagine that are fixable once people start to stop well start to stop doing the wrong things and start to do some of yeah. the right things it's amazing how that will can get back i mean this is the person that you cared for in the past in a, in a home rela a domestic relationship that bit hasn't really gone away it's just hiding and you, and you know you're in emotion in negative territory now you've got to learn to re rekindle that flame and you can absolutely do that and get back in a positive territory yeah so showing showing value and appreciation on purpose often consistently yeah. 
both in the home and in the workplace. And that's something we've not been good at in the past, not been good at at all, you know, we just never think of what do I need to do to build a stronger emotional connection with this person. Yeah, yeah, it's being really intentional. And I have to say, when I saw your TED talk, this one, the connection, not correction resonated deeply, because I recognized how I do it so easily with my kids. And then I realized, but I don't I do that to my husband, I do correction before (laughs) connection when it's parenting stuff, right? Because Uh it's real time, it's in the moment. And I'm saying, what you might want to do here is and then I recognize, oh, no, I have to first, you know, connect, Mm -hmm say yeah. what did went really well there and then get at, okay, there might be another way of looking at this and how we might do it next time. And so I started to apply it right away. So oh, I think wonderful. it's such a good reminder how it, it's big yet it's small, right? So sometimes these simple changes, these simple steps, um, just doing this little tweak can have a huge impact because you start to just see things differently before you were kind of seeing it one, like what you were saying, Andrea, with the tunnel vision, right? You were, you, you were so like this. And now all of a sudden with these tools and habits you're, you're um, talking about, and I love that you say habits because it's a practice, right? It never, yeah. it never goes away. It's a practice, yeah. but it starts to expand, right? It starts to expand the possibilities and ways of seeing things. And um, I, I could see even for some relationships, either in the workplace or outside of the workplace, that it actually might create some some strength in the relationships and some deepness that might not even have been there before in that kind of way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because people open up, you know, when you are investing time to just connect with people with no agenda to get to know them, to come. But I was saying when you when you put the effort in to connect with people, you will get that discretionary effort, you will get more engagement, you'll get more willingness to um, go the extra mile to pour in creativity Mm. and innovation. You know, even if you think about the home context, you're up close and personal and grating against each other so much, but taking time out to just laugh together, have a meal together, lighten the atmosphere, invest in the relationship and remind yourself that you still love each other, gives more cushion, more buffer in the emotional bank account. Yep. Did you hear that bit? More more cushion, more buffer in the emotional bank account so that you can carry on dealing with the challenges of life together. And that's what connection is about in investing in the relationship to keep the emotional bank account balance strong. Yeah. 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 So we knew this was going to be the case. And I specifically knew that I wasn't going to want this conversation to end because we could talk for hours because you have so much brilliant um, work and insight to share. But what I'm going to do as we start to wrap up is I always like to give my guests an opportunity to leave the audience with a final thought. So if you just think of whatever is showing up for you in this moment and a final thought you would like to leave, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to, to leave a final thought. Um, what comes up for you? For, for me, no, for, no, go ahead. For me, it's easy. Intentionality. I, I was going to say um, the amount of people we speak to who say, we're talking to a guy the other day. He said, no, my, my relationship's good. We're good. And I said, I said, yeah, that's great for where you are now, but there are coming some hurdles in that relationship that you can't see yet, but I guarantee you they're coming. You want to be ready for those to get over them, to get to the finish line. Otherwise you're going to end up a statistic. I mean, the stats show that it's 50% of us who don't get to the finish line. The divorce rate, most of the developed world, 20, 40%, cohabiting couples, much higher rate, 60, 70%. Half of us aren't getting there. Do you want to take, is that a a choice you want to take? A coin you want to flip. A a coin you want to toss? Yeah. A chance you want to take? No, I would say, Uh, Be intentional, learn the habits now. It'll prepare you for whatever challenge comes in life, whether it's, I don't know, it could be a loss of a job or loss of a loved one or, you know, things change, emptiness syndrome, life changes, life goes in seasons. When all those seasons happen, if there's something that you're not ready for, chances are the wheels can come off. So be intentional to be prepared. And, And on the same line of intentionality and maybe thinking of it in the work context, it's about taking personal responsibility for how you're being experienced in your relationships, taking responsibility for learning the skills and the habits to turn up better, 
have better conversations and achieve better results. And the more we become aware that there is our view of the world and 7 billion other views of the world, <laughs> the more we can see and hear people better and become more inclusive and model that in the way that we lead organizations. Mm, so important. And you both model this so well, right? Because you're constantly both being intentional and taking personal responsibility. And that's what you did back in the day when you first started working together, right? And so we all have the opportunity to do that. And it creates more meaning and fulfillment and joy and peace in our lives. So there's a win. There's a win. Not only are you going to be able to connect more with those around you and create a better world. And from my perspective, you're also, cause it's also starts in here, right? It's the more what you do work inside, the more it impacts how you show up in the world and what we can co-create in the world. That's right. That's right. Ment or mental health or well-being or um, productivity or just general performance in life all depends on our ability to build great relationships around us. And that starts with us taking personal responsibility for that. Yeah. Um, Andrew and John, where can people learn more about the magnificent work you're doing? Are you back now? Yes. Okay. You froze again, I think. Oh, okay. Now. So I was just asking, where can people learn more about the magnificent work you're doing? Well, thank you for the compliment. Exactly. <laughs> thank you. There's a website, it's the easiest place. It's uh, thefourhabits.com. It's T H E V number four habits.com. Um, and you can find the book there. There's and the, the book. book is available from <laughs> Amazon and, as they say, from all good bookstores near you. And we try to detail and walk people through how they can actually develop the four habits themselves using the book. Yeah. And I will have that all in the show notes. And I also highly recommend everyone listen to the TEDx because it's also wonderfully, wonderfully done. Thank you. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank really you so enjoyed much. enjoyed being here. I was just going to say thank you so much for both of you for being here today. Really good to I be with you. The it. technology is being a challenge. We've frozen again, but been really good talking with you and we'll just keep talking and assume that uh that you'll come back in a minute <laughs> yes i can hear you and so podcast listeners can hear us while it's frozen so thank you yeah. Yeah. both of you for being here i really enjoyed this conversation a oh, real pleasure really good talking with you Christine. and we've enjoyed it too thanks for having us thank you everyone please remember that meaningful change requires space and grace practice self-compassion and become the ripple. As you transform yourself, you transform your workplace and the people around you.